0: round the sun. and many FAs welcome to the studying. stop and to think
1: podcast I'm your host will Dole thank you for listening uh, if you're enjoying the podcast you can rate and review on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen that helps with visibility and today I have with me on the podcast Mike Moffat who is the host of the Bible jazz podcast and has a super interesting bio that uh, we're gonna kind of dip, dip into um so yeah thanks <laughs> thanks mike uh for coming on the show and yeah uh, we were just chatting a little bit before we got going about maybe talking about calling and and how do you yeah. you you've got an interesting background so maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself uh, yeah and where you're at and how you got there
0: i'm happy to do that and thanks for the intro will um i i, I like to think of bible jazz as the world-renowned bible jazz podcast now that's it's a modifier no one else has added, but I, I I, add it sometimes just to you know, just to float my own boat. The world renowned Bible Jazz podcast, you know, 47 listeners and counting, so it's going good over there. Um, who am I? I live in Tacoma, Washington. I'm an associate pastor at a church, medium sized uh, congregational church, um, and uh, I do Bible Jazz actually as part of that ministry. It was a way for me to exercise, a uh, something I enjoy doing essentially my third podcast. Um, first podcast I ever did was in 2007 when oh. the podcasts were on iPods <laughs> <laughs> and that's why they're called podcasts, little history lesson for the children. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I've been kind of doing this stuff like this for a long time. And, uh, and so it was a fun way to do this and get the Bible and Christian living and questions and topics and stuff like that just kind of out into people's hands in an in, in increasingly mobile uh, society that we live in, right? Which is not a, a weakness, it's a strength, but it's something that we want to be able to kind of adapt to. So that's what Bible Jazz is and, and the part of my job that I do it. Otherwise, I do normal pastor things like preaching, teaching, and worship leadership and weddings and funerals and all, the, all that stuff and in between pastoral care, stuff like that. So that's who I am now. Uh, and then getting here has been a bit of a journey. Yeah. Like you said, so, uh, talking a little bit about, uh, call discernment uh, by way of, I guess, as much as a, a person's personal story can help, can help somebody do that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, in your, in your bio there, it, it shows that you, you have a degree in acting and then you spent time overseas in Northern Ireland. Um, like how, how do those kind of fit into your, your story? Oh, well, let me actually, <laughs> let me back up and rephrase that question. Yeah. Why a degree in acting?
0: <laughs> I love getting to the point. Uh, my, you know what's funny is that a lot of people ask me that, and my, my parents, who you'd think would have been the first people to ask me that, actually never did. I told them what I was interested in and why I wanted to go to school, and, and you know, and they were like, "Okay." Uh. <laughs> so, uh, you know, honestly, I I was in my very first play. Well, very first, I was probably a shepherd or something like everybody else in a church. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the first play that ma- that mattered as a play standalone play, I was in seventh grade and um, my brother, I had seen my brother in some dorky one act or something and just the whole my older brother and the whole time, because I was too young at that time, I just watched and I was like, that looks like so much fun. Right. And uh, so when I finally had a chance. I got in a show and I was 13 and had a blast. And then. Uh, had to kind of, ma- uh, there was nothing in my school at the time. So I did some community theater as a, as a teenager. Then in high school, we had a strong program. So I kept going and I just kind of developed like a laser focus on, on theater, but especially on acting. So whenever I would do other things like a little directing or a little bit of stagecraft or whatever, it's like, those things are great and necessary, but I don't like them. So I want to be on stage and I want to be portraying a character and I want to act. And so when it t- came time for college, I did other things. I, did, I got good grades and stuff like that, but I, you know, you ask the question, "What? how do you choose a college? And all of the adults are like, you think about what you want to do. And I'm like, well, I know that. So <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I'll do. Yeah, <laughs> I went to a university. I went to Southern Methodist University in Dallas. And uh, I went there because they offer a Bachelor of Fine Arts and a lot of other great comprehensive education. I didn't want to just focus in so hard uh, on acting only. So I went to university, got got a degree from there and, and a nice wide swath of education as well. And then in the process of being there, and this is a long story we don't have time for on one episode, um, I had what a lot of people in their late teens and early 20s have, which is a real crisis of faith. Mm -hmm. My crisis of faith was not intellectual, though. Uh, Nothing about my Christian faith that I had been raised in, none of the concepts were, were problematic to me. It was the lifestyle of being a Christian, the, the acting like a Christian and having the practices of a Christian that were problematic because the theater world had nothing to do with it. Uh, right. No one I was around ever cared about it or did it. And I, ha- I was too stupid to have gotten myself into a church. Um, hmm. So sometimes when, and I, I worked as a school chaplain for 12 years before I came over to the church world. And uh, when I would talk to high schoolers who are Christians, I'd say the number one priority for you. Is to find yourself a church community. You must, um, because they won't find you. You know, you got to go find them. Right. So I didn't do that and, and I paid the price with a lot of loneliness and and confusion. And then some amazing Christian artists came around me and started to help me see a new way of being a Christian. Eventually, through all that, um, I thought, oh, this is cool. I'll be a Christian and have a Christian community to be a part of, and I'll be a theater artist. You know case closed life story written i'm twenty two it's good to go, yeah, but the there was one last piece of the puzzle that I didn't realize God was working on in me, which was, I think I want you to do service for me, that is the voice of God saying this right
1: mm-hmm. in
0: in such a way that you simply won't have time to to have your acting career, mm. uh, otherwise known as full time, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I said something like, no, thank you, I really like the acting thing maybe I, <laughs> I and, uh, but, it, but it, it did make sense actually. So when it came to, it's not like a Jonah story where I was like, no, you know, it, it made sense. I, I just had to come to terms with it. So when I finally did, I, I moved away from Dallas. I, I took a gap year at home. That's how I ended up overseas okay. so I had to switch to the second part. So theater made sense all that time until 22 or so. And then, um, until God was like, no. And I was like, okay, fine. And, uh, I, I thought, how do you know, if you want to work in full-time ministry without ever having worked in full-time ministry and you don't have any of the credentials or skills to get paid to work in full-time ministry,
1: <laughs> there's there always that.
0: So what do I do? And I, and a pastor of mine gave me a brochure for a full-time volunteer year. I was like, Oh, so you get to work full-time without getting you get, paid full-time you Get you paid, but the way it worked out, I also didn't have to pay for it. So I broke even after the year. So I was like, Okay financially you know neutral uh it's I think not bad in over, your early 20s yeah i was good to go so uh i could have gone domestic here in the states there was a bunch of cool locations and then i looked at some of the overseas ones and northern ireland belfast just jumped right out at me and uh, that's where i ended up i lived in west belfast for that year and worked in a church and in a youth drop-in center It kind of changed my life mm-hmm. uh it confirmed the sense of call like really really well um, I will never, I mean, never regret living in another culture for an extended period of time. Visiting is great. But when you have to like pay taxes and, and go to the ATM and buy groceries and stuff, you get a very different picture of what it feels like to live in a, a different place. Yeah, I came back, started seminary right away. That was four years in Vancouver, BC at Regent College which I would highly recommend as well. And then uh, started my career in 2005 as a school chaplain, 12 years of that, and now I'm here at the church. So that's the quickest version I can give you, but three chapters of uh, theater from about age 13 to 22, uh, a really cool two-year gap, uh, including that year in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and then four years of seminary, and I was off to the races. But then the school chaplaincy also wasn't really what I anticipated doing either.
1: How did, how did you end up deciding, ending out, going with a, a school chaplaincy, coming out of seminary?
0: Yeah, there's a program that a lot of hospitals will offer. A lot of church denominations and stuff will require a thing called uh, clinical pastoral education, CPE. And so I did mine as a, a an intensive in the summer. So it's full time for like three months mm-hmm. at a hospital. So I was a hospital chaplain intern, basically. And I really dug the idea of representing the gospel outside of the walls of the church Uh, to an unpredictable set of folks, (laughs) you know, the, uh, the inpatients in the hospital. And I was enjoying myself so much that, but I had no job lined up and and serendipitously or providentially to use a more theological word. uh, My mom and I were chatting and she said, Hey, you know, the school here in town. Yeah. Well, the chaplaincy just opened up. You got to talk to them about that. And that's how I ended up. Cause I was like, well, I'm in a chaplaincy education now. That's a chaplaincy. They match. (laughs) And And it really was. And I stayed there for 12 years because I really did enjoy kind of representing Jesus as best I could outside of a church but the school was not what you'd call a Christian school so the the unpredictability of the of the uh, constituents r- remained a really exciting and spontaneous part of the of the job
1: Now where was that at?
0: right here in Tacoma it's a okay school a school uh, called Charles Red Academy uh, it's like three miles from here so yeah,
1: I am just interested, like they had, and they had a chaplaincy, even though it wasn't a Christian school, they had to, that a role for someone to give spiritual direction to kids. Or... Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, the uh, chaplaincy, I think was kind of a, a 20 or 30 year long echo uh, from mm. a time when, when the Christian, when the, when Christian education as an initiative by the school was let go. In fact, I okay. want to say even might have even been kind of let go in the late 60s, somewhere in the 70s, uh, as I I kind of became one of the school's informal archivists because right. historians, uh, because I did the Founders Day assembly. So I had to kind of know the history. And as you leaf through the yearbooks, you can see, you can actually see the Christian culture of the school year by year through the 60s and 70s, just kind of going away. Um, Interesting. But one of the things that that, um, that didn't go away was the notion that Somebody should be on staff who can offer care, counseling and some spiritual direction to the students and maybe their their families. So, uh, yeah, so that that's kind of why that's how it ended up being that way. So chaplain in an otherwise non-Christian environment. Now, not anti-Christian, Yeah, not anti-Christian environment, just just a secular. So there were Christians there, lots of them, but 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 a secular school that had no initiative towards teaching Christianity as a way of life.
1: Yeah. So, what what's been the biggest transition for you in that moving from a secular if generally friendly environment to the church?
0: Yeah. And that's a great a great description. Um, I should write to the school and say, Hey, uh, Will Dole came up with a new slogan for you guys: secular <laughs> and generally friendly. <laughs> <laughs> uh no, so and which is true of them. Um, yeah, the biggest transition, I guess trying to maintain friendships with non-christians you know Mm -hmm. because once you're in a church it's just you know you work with them and you serve them and you know they're everywhere um so that that's something that i I still have non-christian friends uh but um, i'm glad i do because we all need them right yeah absolutely so but at charles reddit i didn't have to work hard at it i'm surrounded by non-christians every day you know Mm -hmm. so i can can always keep my kind of keep myself sharp in that way in terms of representing well so that's been a a transition Uh, not growing complacent in your ability to quickly and uh relevantly talk about the bible and and the gospel right yeah uh whereas at church you can say things like providentially and you assume people know what you mean Mm -hmm. um otherwise it's It is so different that it really has a, I thought it was kind of a job change, like, oh, no, I'm in ministry here and I'll be in ministry there. And what I realize now, uh, a little over five years into this church role is it, it really was a career change. It was a move from being an educator in an education environment. To being a pastor in a church environment, just very mm. different. So working with staff, working with congregations, what the responsibilities are and so forth, that's just utterly different. So it really was a, a career change ultimately.
1: What, what would you say is the thing that you missed the most from, from your previous role?
0: Uh, the kids, right? Yeah. So walking through the halls, high-fiving kids, you know, uh, the occasion to, to sit down and actually have quality time with kids, um, yeah, I mean, kids are amazing. I had a blast, especially the primary age kids. Uh, I ran a chapel program for them and for a half an hour a day with different age groups, I got to basically be silly and teach virtue at the same time. Uh-huh. And they had a blast and I had a blast. So I was like, this is really a great combo. This is a great situation. So I did that, you know, for, and that sustained for 12 years, you know, all the way till kids who were first graders when I started were 12th graders when I was wrapping up. And we still had a blast together because we we had that long memory uh, of each other. So I also taught in a religious studies class in, uh, to ninth graders. Mm-hmm. And uh, I find that absolutely fascinating. And there's really no call to, unless you do a, an occasional thing in your church, there's really not a lot of ongoing call to stay sharp in other religious studies as well. Mm-hmm. So I kind of miss that because I, I sort of prided myself on being like, I know a lot. I, I know a lot. I know more than just the three sentences we all know about these religions. Like I, right. you know, I kind of dug in. That was, that was really fun. Um, but I gained a lot by coming here too. So preaching um, acumen, uh, learning how to uh, engage in engage pastorally with adults, many of whom are older than me. I'm 45, so I'm not super young, but I'm in a church. So we're multi-generational. So plenty of folks are, are quite older than me. Yep, And um You know, so that's been that's been intense. And then the other one is uh, learning a lot about what they call family dynamics and how organizations like congregations or staff, we have a multiple uh, person staff, um, how they relate in a way that manages or exacerbates anxiety. That's been a huge part of the learning. I didn't have to worry about that in the school. There was a problem on the staff. I'd be like, yeah, Mr. Principal, there's a problem on the staff. And then I could (laughs) walk away from it. Uh, but now, you know, I, I, own some of that management and, and, and I don't know, I assume you're, you're a church guy. I see a Psalms book behind you.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm church planner. So
0: church planner. Okay. I'm going yeah. to say, I, I, I can interview on you on my show. Um, but, uh, so as a, as a church guy, you also know then that as soon as you have any number of human beings called the congregation or the church, there's going to be moments of conflict, right? Yep. Values conflicts or misunderstandings, and so as a pastor, uh, working with people through that is mm-hmm. also something that was brand new, challenging, and really good for me because it's 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 maturing me a lot faster than being silly with third graders. Although that's a lot of fun too. Mm. Yeah.
1: What would have been some maybe tools, resources that have that have helped you in that transition of figuring out how to how to navigate? <laughs> This isn't the right way to put yeah. it, but adult relationships.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I can tell you, I can give you some book recommendations if you want. Um, yeah, the ones that we've used here, and these come straight from our senior pastor, uh, Aaron Stewart, and he's done a ton of work. And he actually, I think he has his undergraduate degree in psychology, so he loves okay. this stuff. And, yeah. and then he's done, he's done a lot of leadership work as well. So we have used um, Howard, Howard Friedman and his book called Generations. Uh, Howard Friedman, I want to say. And then um, his other follow up to generations is um, uh, failure of nerve mm. Friedman failure of nerve. Uh, and honestly, like uh, his yeah, Edwin, I'm sorry, not Howard, Edwin Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. Yeah. Uh, when I started reading failure of nerve, it was like Friedman had been sitting in on staff meetings like He read read like your diary in terms of, and he he says things like, I would imagine that when this kind of thing happens in your organization, people respond this way. And then he describes it. You're like, it's exactly how they respond. (laughs) So, so he's totally dialed in how, uh, how people think in groups and and he calls it family dynamics and, um, or family systems, family systems theory. And so that has been enormously helpful in being able to anticipate uh, the way people react to change, which mm-hmm. is the hardest thing to do in any group, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes it helped, it's helped me learn how to um, get a little bit ahead of when somebody comes with me, to me with a complaint or a concern. Um, so I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll make one up for you, okay? This is made up. For the record, I am making this up. So don't try, if you're a UPPC Member, don't try to decode who I'm talking about. Uh, I'm a theater guy. I can, I can make this up on the fly. So let's say somebody, uh, uh, Will, in your church, for example, uh, comes to you and says, Will, I am, I, I am concerned. Oh, what are you concerned about? Well, I saw um, Jeanette, and she was leaving the liquor store. And I just i am just kind of, I think maybe you should have a conversation with her. You know, so even that alone is like, OK, so uh, Barbara or whoever I just made up told you she's concerned about Jeanette. Obviously, Barbara is assuming Jeanette has an alcohol problem. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy in that moment as a pastor to jump right into the mess with anxious Barbara. Right. Um, and be like, oh, my gosh, Barbara, I will go talk to Jeanette. I, I hope she's OK. I'm sure she's. I you And you find yourself wound around. Uh, the axle right Mm -hmm. but when you learn family systems you can quickly go well this is good i here's what i think barbara is probably feeling and thinking here's why she came to me right uh even if she doesn't know why she came to me (laughs) yeah uh but but i have a feeling i know why she came to me here are all the questions i need to ask and why i can remain self-differentiated from this problem this is this is not something i have to be anxious about at this point Mm -hmm. and then you can So, and like, for example, one of the great tools that we've learned on staff, and this is something we, we, we all know it so well, we joke about it is we would say, so Barbara says, I'm worried about Jeanette, you know, the liquor store, the best response you can give Barbara in that case is, gee, Barbara, I'm glad you told me what did Jeanette say when you told her you were concerned? (laughs) So it's, it's not meant to be manipulative, but it's a way of, of softly letting Barbara know she, she came to the wrong person.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Redirecting the concern.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And she created what Friedman called an emotional triangle. There's Jeanette, there's Barbara. And now for no reason at all, there's you Mm -hmm. and she's, she's roped you into this triangle and you can de-triangle by, by a question like that. And she'll say, Oh, I couldn't. uh," And then you, now you're pastoring not Jeanette with the hypothetical alcohol problem, but you're pastoring Barbara with the anxiety problem. Yeah, exactly. Which is what you should be doing, right? Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, that's man. really that, That's one example. Oh, no, that's <laughs> Well, that's the other one is uh, Joel Joel Osterhaus and uh, his book, Red Zone, Blue Zone. That's another one where we've kind of learned how to anticipate why certain things trigger certain anxieties in us. And and so, uh, for example, Will, like if if I said to you, gee that's a lot of books behind you on your shelf and you said what are you trying to say i I go wow that's not a response i expected you're having what's what osterhaus calls a red zone response something Mm. i said triggered something in you that i couldn't have known about but if i know that what red zone blue zone are then i don't get offended when you red zone at me right I, I I can step aside and go. What's going on with with Will today? Uh, probably not me. I'm probably not the problem. Here, right. You know? so that kind of stuff. So.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, that's helpful. Yeah.
0: Human, yeah. Group psychology stuff is really 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 helpful. <laughs> yeah, man.
1: This uh, maybe just kind of tie it back to the beginning here as we wrap up. But uh, maybe you want to talk a little bit about Bible Jazz. I you you mentioned it at the beginning, sure. but um, what what kind of conversations are you having on there and. Yeah. what how, what might be interesting to the to the listener here to, to go check that out
0: you have to apologize for my chuckling because i just immediately think of dumb stupid things to say like uh every conversation is amazing and of course you know uh well as uh, you
1: are a theater guy so i know i don't I know why i've got to even say anxiety. it in radio voice when you say it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah. The world renowned Bible jazz. Um, so what kind of conversations? Well, a lot, for a long time, we've got almost 200 episodes now. So okay. uh, we've been doing this for a wee, a, the royal we. I've been doing it for, a, it was a small group for a while now. It's pretty much me, but um, uh, for a long time, we would get together on Monday and talk about yesterday's sermon. Mm. And I love that because that's like what people do at lunch or or in their homes after, right? The sermon is a little nugget, but really to learn it or to grow from it, you have to process it with somebody, right? Right. So Bible jazz was like, well, let's process this together. And then, and then it'll be sort of a nice holistic complete sermon teaching problem was it focused only on people who heard the sermon. So when we wanted to expand out to a a wider audience and things like that, it's like, well, now what are we going to talk about? So I went through a, a catechism type series called the big that I called the big 52, yeah. uh, 52 big questions about Christianity. And then um, and now since getting on Podmatch, shout out to Podmatch, um, I have really just followed the lead of guests that look interesting a little bit like you're doing um, yeah. to go, hey, you, you know, repelled off of the Eiffel Tower and you're a Christian. Let's talk, <laughs> you know, um, Something like that. So the subject matter has now gone to so uh, different episode by episode. Really, the common thread is uh, improvising our way through life and faith. And the tagline for Bible Jazz is our conversations at Bible Jazz are always improvised and sometimes unusual, just like jazz. There you go. Um, Yeah. So and heck, you might not even like it sometimes, just like jazz. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, so that's kind of what it is now. It's improvised conversations about life and faith. And actually, I've been on a couple other podcasts as well, um, like um, uh, Rachel Harrington's Unadulterated Heart recently, where I specifically talked, she and I specifically talked about uh, improvisation and life, improvisation mm. and, and faith. So improvisation as a hermeneutic to map onto how you see what life really is. So that was a lot of fun. Have um, you ever so, yeah.
1: read uh, Kevin Van Hooser's Hearers and Doers?
0: No, no. I'll write it down. Then.
1: Uh That's one of the metaphors that he works throughout the book is, is essentially what, what doctrine is doing and what intake of scripture is doing is helping us to walk through life, not with a script, but learn how to improv in a way that's fitting to the gospel. Uh, It's it's, it's a really helpful metaphor that he just kind of works all the way through, but he he ties it's improv. And then also he works in fitness, uh, the idea of being fit for purpose. So yeah, it it was a fun read.
0: Um, Actually, that's that's awesome, thanks. I wrote it down. I, I'll check I'll check it out. Um, fitness is a great one too, especially. I'm not a crossfit guy, but I know a lot about it. I know a lot of crossfit people. Um, especially what they call functional fitness, which when I was growing up, nobody really did functional fitness. you'd like lifted dumbbells and that's what fitness was yep. or jog, right? But now this notion of functional fitness, makes so much sense in our physical life. Like, Oh, what do you do? I play golf. Well, then this is what we're going to exercise. Right. Um, or what do you do for a living? I lay bricks. Well, then we're going to do these exercises. Uh, that really becomes now a powerful metaphor for our faith. Yeah. So yeah, read the Bible, pray and all the Christian things, but why, Mm -hmm. what is it you feel called? What do you think God made you to do for his kingdom? well, you know, I have always had a lot of empathy for the poor. Well, read your Bible, yes, but go ahead and lean into what that means in terms of your mission in this, in this world uh, over against somebody who says, I, I, I love literature and I've always read poetry in my spare time. Well, then maybe Bible and, and Bible teaching is something you really do. You know? So even the Christian disciplines of discipleship, we can kind of go, well, they aren't all equal, and not all people need to focus equally on every single one of them.
1: Oh, we're all. I mean, we're called for for different tasks,
0: yeah, like, yeah,, uh,
1: and Paul spends a lot of time in First Corinthians talking about that, like we're all we the part body's got a lot of different parts, and they probably shouldn't all look the same.
0: So yeah, that'd be a weird looking body. You'd just be a blob. Yes. Well, with very Jesus number function,
1: <laughs> with Jesus <laughs> as the head,
0: it'd be G- Jesus in a muumu. That's what that was, and that's what this episode should be called: in my opinion.
1: Je- Jesus in a muumu. <laughs> I will def- I'm going to write that down. That that will be the oddest <laughs> title I've had so far.
0: Oh, I- please, please write to me and let me know if it either gets enormously more or enormously less clicks. I'm
1: going to be honest; <laughs> I- it probably won't get enormously less, but if it gets way more, <laughs> I will definitely let you know.
0: Oh man! So.
1: Well, Mike, thank you for coming on the podcast. Is there anything else you wanted to, to leave the audience with uh, where they can go to find out more about, about Bible jazz or anything else you're doing?
0: Yeah, I'm grateful to UPPC, which is the initials for our church, University Place Presbyterian Church, for giving me the, the trust to do this as part of my, my work. So if you want to learn more about Bible jazz uh, or this, uh, the church that supports it, it is uppc.org. And you'll find everything about us on there, including uh, some links to listen to Bible Jazz right through your browser, or uh, you can go to the Bible Jazz homepage. You can also find Bible Jazz pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, so for Bible Jazz, that's the best place, or just go onto your Apple or Spotify or whatever. And if you're especially in, in the Tacoma area, although there's some things that are, are good for remote folks as well, don't hesitate to jump on uppc.org and, uh, you know, come check out what God's doing in this community.
1: Well, we'll throw links to all that in the show notes. And cool. Mike Moffat, thank you for joining us today on, on the Stopping to Think podcast. I'm your host, Will Dole. Thank you for listening. Gathered above a world full of truth Where folks gather around
0: pictures that move Their thoughts dance in place to the bohemian groove